Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. Welcome back, everybody, to uh, what will be our last episode in the Book of Philippians today. We have looked at Paul's letter to these dear Christians to him. And uh, today we'll be wrapping up with, in part, some of the main reason that he wrote this letter. Um, It is, in some ways, a thank you note to the church, the the disciples there in Philippi, for the financial support that they gave him while he was in prison. Maybe some other resources as well, but um, he's going to, in chapter 4, really kind of wrap up by saying, hey, thank you guys for this. Uh, But he's also, at the same time, going to really give them some keys to how to think about generosity and joy and and so many things because it's not just what christians are doing it's how they think about it and how their attitude towards it that makes such a difference yeah paul's always really good for when he wants to talk about one particular thing he's able to add two or three other things and on top (laughs) of it and so uh yeah let's just go ahead and jump right in so we're going to jump into philippians chapter four and i'm going to read verses two and three from the christian standard bible I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice. Oh, sorry. We'll get to verse four in a second. This feels so short. Yeah, it you does. You want to keep reading? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this, uh, this is maybe the most negative thing said in the letter to the Philippians. It, just so much of this letter has been, you're doing great. Keep it up. Here's some good things to think about. Here's some, you know, last week we talked about warnings, uh, or his last episode. And, uh, but now he says, hey, there is a, there's a, some strife going on in the church. And it's these two ladies uh, who he thinks very highly of. Yes. But sometimes even two Christians who are strong Christians can be at odds with each other and get to where it's just difficult to work together. Mm-hmm. And so these two ladies, uh, Euodia and Syntyche, he says, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. Yeah. So he first addresses them directly. He says, I, you two need to work together to try and figure this thing out. And that's what we need to learn about conflict. We don't need to start by running to third parties and running to other people. But you need to start with the person you're having the conflict with. Paul says, I urge you two to agree in the Lord. And he invokes the name of the Lord here. You know, this is this is your all's common bond, so it's no surprise that you two need to figure this out. Which, I'm assuming this letter would have been read before the church. And so they've uh, also been encouraging to be like, oh, we just got called out in yep. front of everybody to get along. And I don't know how Paul had heard about their, their conflict exactly. Uh, or I guess it may have been Epaphroditus who brought the financial support to Paul. He may have said, hey, by the way, Yodian sent to keep yeah. having a hard time. <laughs> he was like, all right, I'll, I'll put that in the letter. And I don't know if Epaphroditus expected him to do it this directly, but, <laughs> but Paul did. But I'll, I'll tell you, Stephen, I think this is an important thing to remember because in, in churches today, um, especially congregations that tend to be on the larger side, whatever size you know comes to mind for whoever is listening, it can be really easy to ignore people when you have a problem with them in big churches um you know just kind of you know wave at them across the aisle or or even just ignore them altogether but in the new testament anytime it talks about a brother or sister having any kind of conflict it encourages conflict resolution being able to work through those things and paul thought it was serious enough 
in this case that he just outright mentions it in front of everybody, like Stephen's pointing out. And so we need to find ways uh, biblically to be reconciled to our brethren when we have problems with them. Don't just let those problems sit there and fester. Um, a friend of mine one time put it this way, that a 30-minute problem is better than a 30-day problem. A 30-day problem is better than, you know, a 30-week problem, you know, and just it, get it fixed today. The, the moment you realize, I need to fix this, do it. Go talk to them. Yeah, that's a great point. And Jesus would teach very similar things. You know, if your brother sins against you, go to him directly. Um, if he listens to you, you gained your brother. That's right. Um, and so uh, he encourages them first to agree in the Lord, but then he also encourages someone else. It's not clear exactly who. Uh, right. Verse 3, I ask you also, true companion. Um, a few Bibles uh, translate this as a proper name. Um, it, it's the word sudzugas in the Greek, um, which means yoke fellow, a true yoke fellow. Um, but it could have been someone's name, sudzuge. Uh, but uh, we're not sure. Most Bibles translate it as this true companion phrase, which Paul was talking to someone in particular um, to help Yodi and Syntyche. Uh Some speculate this could have been Luke, uh, and he just mm. calls him his true yoke fellow because Luke was left there at Philippi several times. But again, we really don't know. It's a little bit like the author of Hebrews. We're just not, not sure about that. Um, but the principle here is that sometimes you do need a mediator. Sometimes you do need someone to come alongside you to help resolve conflict. Um, Sometimes two people have been trying to resolve it and it's just not going anywhere. And so um, whoever this true companion uh, is, is to come alongside them and help them. But then he remembers, hey, help these women. And here's the work that they've done in the past. Uh, He says, they've labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So these people are not lost people, but they're not getting along and they need some help to work this out so that they can continue to labor side by side in the gospel. When we don't work out personal conflict, it becomes an obstacle for the gospel. It doesn't just affect us. It affects the people we're trying to reach out to. It affects the church when they're aware that there's an internal problem going on. And so we can't, Christians are not people who bury their problems. Christians work it out. And this is a great example of even in a strong and healthy church with shepherds and servants, like we read about in chapter one, this, Paul is trying to look ahead and say, hey, these are good workers. They've done a lot of good work, but don't let this become an issue. Uh, I've heard about this. Y'all work it out. And if you need to get some help working it out <laughs> um, because I don't want to see this affect the gospel. And again, Paul is just so good about keeping his eyes on the main goal of reaching lost souls. And sometimes personal conflict gets in the way. And so this is a great encouragement for us to work it out with whoever we need to work it out with and get uh, get back on track. Yeah, I really appreciate that point, that conflict with our brethren gets in the way of the gospel work. And uh, just reminds me as well, in Galatians 5, Paul will say, uh, the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Mm-hmm. You know, Before you know it, if everyone is fussing and fighting all the time, that there won't be a church left. You're going to bite and devour each other to the point that there's nothing there. And I'm sure everyone listening has seen that at some point. And the purpose of the gospel is, is gone. It's, it's just all about my personal beef with somebody else. And uh, so Paul is urging them here to, to figure this out and calling on people to, to help them figure this out. Yeah. 
Which I'll just say here that um, this word that he uses for fellow workers um, is, is the same word we get our word synergy from. That's cool. And it's really cool to see the number of times that Paul uses that phrase, fellow workers, in the gospel um, to describe men and women who are also laboring uh, to help lost souls get to Jesus. Of course, men and women have different kinds of roles in that. But these two women say, hey, these are, these are all my fellow, my coworkers in the gospel. And it's going to look different ways for different people. But I love that idea of synergy in the gospel and working together. And so um, that's why he wants these ladies to get along so they can continue to work together well to bring more glory to the Lord. So that leads us into the next section, uh, in verse 4. Uh, we'll read down through verse 9. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so Paul again says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Stephen, help me out. I don't have all these marked like I did in my old Bible. But this has been a recurring theme throughout the book of Philippians. Going back to chapter 1. Mm-hmm. Um, where's our first one? Uh, 1, 3, uh, remembering with joy, or rather verse 4. Um, 1, 18, 1, uh, well, what happens twice in verse 18. Uh, chapter 2, verse 25, mm-hmm. chapter, or excuse me, 1, verse 25, 2, verse 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, chapter 2, verses, uh, tw- um, boy, where is it? Um, verse 28, uh, yep. verse 29. Uh, chapter three, verse one. <laughs> yeah. Chapter three, chapter four, verse one, and then uh, twice here in chapter four, verse four, and there's one more in um, chapter four, verse ten. So yeah, there, there's you. all your references to thank joy. I put you on the spot there, but I mean, it makes the case, right? Like this is a theme in the book of Philippians. This is what Paul is calling on them to do, despite the circumstances that he's in. He is finding ways to rejoice in the Lord, and so he wants them to do the same thing. And so he says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." I will say it again, rejoice. Um, and so this is definitely the theme in Philippians. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes we talk about joy and, uh, man, I just want to be happy, you know, um, that the world is really focused on that. I just want to feel better. I want to uh, feel good today. Um, but so many times we, we go about that in all the wrong ways. And this section of Philippians is really helpful if we will really practice this in tr- finding true joy, there's some real keys here to finding actual joy and contentment. And I want to say that we've, I think we may have mentioned this before, but that there's a difference between joy and happiness. Um, sometimes we think of happiness as, I just feel so good and feel so warm. But Paul is in prison. There's a bunch of hard things going on. He's had to address some hard things in this letter, but he's rejoicing. He is choosing to focus on the good through Jesus. 
And that's something we can always choose to do, even if we're sick, even if we're tired, even if uh, things are not going well completely, because when are things ever going to go completely well in this broken world? But we can have joy. And so what he's saying is you need to rejoice, but notice where he says you have to rejoice in the Lord. Mm -hmm. Just like he said, agree in the Lord earlier. Now rejoice in the Lord. Great point. Um, It's only in Jesus that we can really find joy because it gives us perspective. It gives us purpose. And it gives us a reason to say, I'm, I'm grateful. Um, thankfulness is such an important part about this. So he says in verse 5, uh, people are going to see it when you're acting this way, when you're acting reasonable. What does the CSB have there in uh, verse 5? Let it, your graciousness be known to graciousness. everyone. I was just looking at that word. New American Standard says, let your gentle spirit be known to all people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so gentleness, reasonableness, uh, graceful, Gracious. graciousness. Yeah. Um, when we're thinking straight, we're just going to be acting in a way that reflects that way to other people. It's a little bit like in chapter two, and he said, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you'll be lights. Um, When we choose joy and we rejoice in the Lord, people are going to see that. So he said, let everybody know that you're reasonable, that you're gracious because of what God has done for you. And he points out, hey, the Lord's near. He's right here with you. And if you're thinking about that, that's a great comfort, Mm -hmm. uh, even in the midst of hard things. And so it really sets up verse six well. Don't worry about anything. You know, if the if the Lord is your focus, if He is near, and if you're rejoicing in Him, what is there to even worry about? But if you are going to worry about something, Paul gives us a little bit of a formula on how to deal with that. Uh, he tells us through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. When we worry about something, we need to take those things to God. Did you all notice the different phrases Paul uses for prayer in verse 6? He says, In everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So obviously you've got the word prayer, you've got petition, you've got thanksgiving, and you've got requests. And all of those work together whenever we're worrying about something and we take those before God. God is taking care of us. We still thank him for that. We recognize and praise him for how good he is. But then with that context of knowing those things about him, then you ask him for what you need or for what you want. Mm -hmm. God does want us to ask him for things. Uh, It's like Jesus' little parable about a good father or, you know, uh, a son who asks for bread. He's not going to give him a rock. If he asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a snake. He knows how to give good gifts. So he wants us to ask him, but to also trust him that he knows what we need and when we need it. He's not always going to grant every wish that that we you know, uh, ask him for. But also it's so important to be thanking him for what he's already given. Gratitude is so powerful. And again, we're here in November recording this podcast in a time when hopefully people are thinking a lot about gratitude. Uh, We've been working on a little thing at our house, putting like leaves on a little tree in the hallway. And it's fun for the kids, but it's good for us too. Yes, it is. Uh, Just to consciously be taking time every day. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. And when you really start to add that up, you think, you know what? I've got some issues in my life. Things, some things are hard, but God's been good to me, and that really helps. Um, it doesn't fix all your problems, but it helps your perspective to be where it should be because God has been good to us. Wherever we're at in our life, um, there are so many grace, graceful things that God's given us that we that add up when we take the time to think about it. Yeah, and I, I'm sometimes just so bad about missing the things that God has done for me, and. I need to take time to slow down, think about those things, and say that to the Lord and say thank you for that. 
um, there's a parable, or not a parable, excuse me, a, G, a story of Jesus in Luke, the 17th chapter, where there's these 10 lepers that Jesus heals. And uh, all of them are like, oh, yeah, we got healed, we got healed, you know. And they run off to the priest so that they can get deemed clean. And they all run off, but there's one that turns around, and he comes back, and he says, thank you to Jesus. But before he can even say thank you, Jesus says, were there not 10 of you? Where are the nine? Where are the nine at? And it just really illustrates the point well that sometimes we are so overjoyed at what God has supplied us with or done for us that we we run off, but we forget to say thank you. Um, And Jesus noticed. Uh, Jesus noticed that. And and God notices it about us when we start to become entitled. Um, It's really interesting to me in Romans that whenever he begins to describe the fall of the Gentiles, one of the things that he'll say um, is that they uh, they knew God, or for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude or thank him, uh, other translations say. The downfall of the Gentiles began with their inability to recognize God as God and say thank you. Um, that's when it starts to turn into entitlement. Well, I get this because they should just do it for me. And so we, we really need to learn this art of, of saying thank you to God. Amen. And that's really where we start to get peace from. Um, he's going to connect joy and peace, which is kind of cool when you see the fruits of the Spirit come up together, love, joy, peace. Um, uh, he talked about love back in four one, whom I love and long for. Uh, so you start to see those fruits together here. But he describes the peace of God, and he says it surpasses all understanding. And that's kind of an interesting phrase. It, there may be a couple of different senses in which we can take that. One is the world doesn't understand the peace that we have. Uh, when they look in at our lives and they're like, man, you should be really sad, but somehow you have this joy, you have this peace. How do you have that? Mm-hmm. And they want that. Um, that's certainly what should happen. But sometimes, honestly, it's a peace that surpasses even our understanding. Uh, and I remember talking with people um, that are going through something tragic, and they're like, I... I should be falling apart right now, but in the Lord, I don't even understand how I'm keeping it together. Um, yeah. But God sustains us through unthinkably hard things, and sometimes it really is a peace that passes understanding, yes. uh, the understanding of others and even our own understanding sometimes. And so I think that's really helpful um, that he says it guards our hearts and minds. One of the best tools Satan has is to take away our peace. Great point. And get us to be anxious about everything, yeah. frustrated. And he says, listen, if you will, will set your mind on gratitude, pray to God all the time, you'll get some peace, and that peace will guard your heart and mind because Satan's after our heart and mind. And um, regular gratitude, regular prayer, achieving that peace by God's grace is it's like we're in a battle and he's like okay here's the shield for your heart it's like this peace is not just important for you to know it but for you to guard against bitterness and anxiety and all these other things that satan uses to get us down so in verse eight uh paul gets his second finally in there oh that's right he used up one of them in chapter three classic sermon conclusion yes so this will be his second finally and we are getting to the end it's his final final yes uh final finally brothers and sisters whatever is true Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Um, as we think about mental health, what, what do I dwell on in the midst of things I'm depressed about or that I'm worried about or I'm anxious about? Paul tells you these are the things you need to be dwelling on. 
if, if we're only fixated on the things that make us sad and depressed and upset, well, then, of course, that's going to be the result of how we feel. Paul is saying, make a choice here to reflect and to think about the things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely. Focus on those things. And isn't that really what the whole book has been about? Um, Paul has been in a really tough circumstance in prison, people out there saying all kinds of things about him. He can't do anything about it. But he has made the choice to, to reflect on these things that are higher and, and better. And I think it's interesting that in this list, uh, you know, we can go through and look at each of these words, but true is the top of the list. Um, and we talked about that a while back in the book of James, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful. Um, true is the top of the list here. Uh, Satan's, one of his best tools is, is lies, uh, getting us to, to be deceived or think things that are not true. And so he says, listen, you got to make sure you're thinking about things that are actually real, that are actually true. Because so many times when we let anxiety uh, and bitterness get into our hearts, we just think things that aren't true. Uh, we let ourselves believe things that are a deception or a distortion of reality. And so he says, first of all, when you're thinking about stuff, just make sure you're thinking true thoughts. Um, because Satan loves for us to dwell on things that are just not even real. They're not even there. Yeah. They're perceptions or they're d- illusions. And so whatever's true. And then on top of that, you know, whatever... It's just good and wholesome and beautiful. God has put so many good things here. And sometimes we get fixated on the stuff that's ugly and the stuff that's frustrating. And uh, the news doesn't help this at all because it just seems like a lot of the news is just the opposite of this list. Like, let's just find all the bad stuff that's happening and pump our minds full of that. And that's a recipe for depression. It's a recipe for disaster. Um, But this is the opposite of that. And by the way, this isn't just saying that we look at the world with rose-colored glasses. Um, it doesn't say ignore the things that are a problem. He sure. just addressed Yodi and Syntyche. You know, like we're acknowledging the problems, but the thing that we're the place where we dwell, the place where we keep coming back to, is the things that are going right, the things that are good, things that bring joy. That's where we have to live. We have to visit hard things, but don't live there. Uh, mm-hmm. Keep coming back to things that are wholesome and pure. Yep. Amen. And so in verse 9, very practically, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. You got to put these things to practice. Uh, mm-hmm. You got to start practicing them. And isn't that the trick to, to any success? Is if you want a, re- a good result, you've got to do everything that they've told you to do. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus will do the, say this in his parables like, do this and you will live. Like, go and do the same. You know, do like, likewise. Exactly. And so Paul is calling on them to do the same thing here. And he also says that the God of peace will be with you. Remember, we're doing this for a God of peace. If you want peace, then it should be no coincidence here that the God of peace is going to be with us in these things. That's right. And so those two things, verse 8 says, think about these things. Verse 9 says, practice these things. Um, and he points out, like, I've modeled this for you. <laughs> what you've heard and seen in me. Uh, Paul, really what he's doing in the book of Philippians, is saying, listen, I'm in prison. And what he did in chapter one, like, look at all these hard things that are going on. I could die. Like, I could be really depressed right now. But he's saying, the things that you've seen in me, practice this. I am modeling for you in my own life and in my own problems how to think about them, how to choose joy in the midst of challenging things. And so Paul, uh, like he'll say in 1 Corinthians, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, I think that's one reason we have these letters preserved for us by the Spirit is Paul had the right attitude in facing these challenges. And so he, God has pr- forever preserved 
this moment as yep. Paul's writing this letter, here's the way Paul worked through this himself. Who who, who suffered more than Paul? I mean, of course, besides Jesus. Um, okay, how Paul, how did you do it? How did you get through town after town where they're going, doing all these terrible things to you? How did you get through imprisonment for months or years at a time? Paul's like, okay, here's how I did it. Uh, here's the, some practical ways that you can think and change your perspective so that you can find the key to joy in the midst of hardships, which we're all going to face on some level. Yep. Amen. Let's keep reading here. We'll read the end of the chapter here, starting in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make uh, make do with little And I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you do well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So this is where we get to the end of the letter where Paul is saying, Thank you so much. Which he just told them to be giving thanks. And he, of course, first gives thanks to God. Um, and that's exactly what he does. I rejoiced in the Lord that you have revived your concern for me. And he recognizes that they were always concerned for him, even when they didn't have an opportunity to show it. But now they have an opportunity to show it. But by the way, that's just good to remember about people, that maybe they're not doing something right now to help us out. And maybe because they don't have the opportunity. And again, that's just assuming the best about people. Um, that even though maybe we're not receiving in that moment the things that uh, we'd hope to receive from them. But it doesn't mean they don't love us. It doesn't mean that they uh, you know, don't care about us. Um, and so he recognizes that about the Philippians. Um, but what's really interesting is he said, thank you, but I want you to know that even if I didn't get this help from you financially, I would have been okay. Um, and so Paul is always quick to balance these things. He's not like, Oh, thank you so much. If you had not helped me out, I would have been in despair. I would have just totally lost it unless you finally would have gotten this. You know, like, man, why did you get this to me sooner? You know, none of that. He's just saying, you know what? By God's grace, I've learned to be content. I, I've learned to get by with a lot. I've learned to get by with a little. And it's going to be okay. Whatever circumstance I'm in, I'm choosing contentment with whatever it is that I have. And that's just such an important lesson for us. And I'll say... A lot of times we, th- I suspect we think that getting by with a little is the harder thing. But I think that we struggle more with contentment when we have an abundance. Because mm-hmm. we're always wanting more. 
Yeah, isn't that the crazy thing? Yeah. Um, that when we have a lot, that's when Satan really comes after us. I, I've heard it put this way one time: uh, adversity hath slain its thousands, and prosperity its ten thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't that the truth? I mean, you can go look at the cycle of the judges. When were they the most in trouble? We're when everything was going well, fat yeah. and happy. I mean, just uh, that, and that's the tendency for us. So, so watch out when things are going well. And so Paul points out, like, I'm so thankful that you've given this to me, but I, God has helped me to know how to figure out contentment. And that's um, really, really important in our very rich culture. I mean, here in the States, we just have a lot. And even in the hard times we're facing economically right now, you look at the rest of the world, we are still so blessed and so rich. And we need to remember that. Um, and if harder times come, we need to be content. And maybe it'll actually help some things um, when we have less and make do with less. Um, that can be a blessing in the long run. I mean, I'm not wishing that on anybody, but uh, Paul said, listen, you know, in the times when I didn't have much, I was okay with that. Like, And again, he's writing this from prison. It's hard to imagine uh, being content yeah. in that situation, but that's what Paul did. And I love this is the context for verse 13. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, a lot of people pull that one out. <laughs> that's, that's a famous one, and it should be because that's a really, really good verse. But remember, Paul is talking about in, in deep poverty, <laughs> he is fine because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Whatever we lack, uh, whatever we're needing, um, Christ makes that up for us. And that's not always physical. Um, we're grateful when there are physical blessings and God provides for us. But I think what Paul is saying here is more true spiritually, mm-hmm. that Christ fulfills him spiritually where he is lacking. And when we find ourselves in hard times, spiritually speaking, we need to remember that Christ can fill us up, that we can come back to him, that we can find a source of strength in who he is and in what he did. That's the context here that Paul is talking about this in. Um, and so let's just remember that. Um, in verse 14, he'll say, Still, you do well by partnering with me in my hardship. You know, he's not saying, I don't need your help, like Stephen was talking earlier. You know, hey, it's still good that you guys are helping me out. I'm still grateful for this. Paul's not being arrogant, saying, oh, I don't need you all. But he's simply saying that, hey, you guys are doing a good thing by partnering with me in this. This has been something that was emphasized back in chapter 1, that they have been with him from the very beginning. Um, and I think in a financial and spiritual way, this church has been providing for him. And so he restates that again in verse 15. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Stephen, sorry. Yeah, and it's really interesting that uh, in both of these verses, he uses an important word that's the word for sharing or fellowship. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's two different forms of it here. When he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble, um, it's like sharing together, and the word koinonia or soon koinonia uh, is kind of there in verse uh, 14. And then he'll say, uh, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And so it's just really cool to think about the way Paul considers these brethren. Like, you are co-workers with me. You are sharing in with me. And that word koinonia almost always has this spiritual component to it, um, that it's not just like hanging out or whatever. It's, it is sharing in the good things of God together. And so I love that, that he says that twice here. You've shared in my trouble and you've shared with me in the gospel. Um, and sometimes those things go hand in hand, right? When we share in the gospel, we're going to share in suffering for the gospel. 
And so he points out, you guys have been with me since the beginning on this, like even on that second journey where he established the church in Philippi, and he was still in Macedonia. Um, even in Thessalonica, he'll say in verse 16, like just the next town down, um, they were still sending for his needs, helping him out immediately. They were in this fellowship with him financially. And here he is years later, maybe decades later, mm -hmm. in Rome, in prison, and they're still having this fellowship with him uh, after so much time. Yeah, and uh, verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. Remember, that this gift that Paul is getting in, in his support, it's for the furtherance of the gospel. You know, Paul, Paul isn't doing this to get rich or anything like this, mm -hmm. but he, he is seeking the benefit of being able to fully dedicate his time to sharing and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's just an important thing to see, that that, that should be the goal of our giving in local churches, is for the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, that was the priority that the early churches had in their collective giving, was to see the gospel being spread. Yes. And I think it's cool the way he describes it in Old Testament terms in verse 18, where he says, like, Epaphroditus brought this gift, and it is a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Mm -hmm. Now, there's other places in the New Testament. Yeah, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, you know, the sacrifice of praise, yeah. do good, share what you have. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Yeah. And actually, I think it's in Romans 15 that so he talks about the offering of the Gentiles might be pleasing. Oh, that's cool. Like yeah. Even evangelism is described as offering a sacrifice. And here, this financial giving to a, a, a brother who's preaching the gospel, Paul, um, is described as a sacrifice to God. We're not killing animals anymore, but we are offering sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And one of the one things that, that is includes in that is the financial offering that we give to God and to his people. And so I think that's really cool that the mental image um, of that, which Paul described his own life as a drink offering earlier in this chapter. He yeah. uses some of that Old Testament language to say, I am an offering to God. My life is poured out in service. And now... This gift that you sent with Epaphroditus, that's a sacrifice, a fragrant offering to God that he smells that and is like, oh, that's so good. Uh, when Christians give to help this, the work and to help each other, God is just pleased with that. And anything that pleases God should get our attention. Yes, a amen. Verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, no surprise there. If God is supplying Paul for his needs, God's going to do the same for them. And that's what Paul is saying. If God can supply me, he can supply you all as well. Because sometimes that's what we're worried about when we're trying to decide whether or not to give. It's like, well, am I going to have enough? If I give generously, who's going to take care of me? And he's saying, listen, God sees when you do this, and God's going to take care of you. That's what enables our generosity and, is a trust in God to provide for us. And if God is rich in glory, uh, he can share that. <laughs> and right. God is uh, – he's – Eternally and uh, infinitely, that's the word I want. He's infinitely rich in his glory. And so, of course, he can continue to share that with us. Uh, verse 20, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yeah, very, very uh, Paul way to wrap things up, that all glory needs to be going to God forever and ever for all that he does. And as is typical of Paul as well, he has a few greetings uh, in verse 21. Um particularly greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So on his behalf, greet them. But the brothers who are with me send you greetings. So uh, hi from Paul, or sorry, hi from others through Paul, I guess, mm -hmm. in verse 21. And 
In verse 22, it's cool because he says, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think there's a play on words here or anything. I think it's that there's some members of Caesar's household that are Christians. Yeah, that falls uh, in Rome. That's right. And it's so cool to think about the gospel has spread you know, to the Roman guard, you know, he said in chapter one, and now it's spread all the way up into those serving in Caesar's household, yep. the emperor of the world at the time, you know, the Roman Empire. And the gospel, you just never know who's going to respond. It, it crosses all boundaries, racially, economically, um, it, and that is a lesson we learn in the New Testament, but it's a lesson we see as well today. I mean, our churches are filled with people from all different kinds of backgrounds, and mm-hmm. that is something to be grateful for. That's right. And so he concludes the letter with the grace of Jesus. I mean, that's Paul almost always bookends his letters with grace. You know, may the grace of the Lord be with you, grace and peace at the beginning. Grace leads to peace. Yes, and now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Um, he loves these brethren and wants God's grace to continue to support them and strengthen them. Everything comes back to grace for Paul. It's just so important that we realize everything we have is a gift from God. And that fuels our gratitude. I mean, that's so much of what this book has been about. And one of the keys to joy is focusing on God's grace, thinking about how undeserving we are, and yet how good God has been to equip us in all the ways that he has. This is a beautiful, beautiful way to end this letter um, that is just so practical and so helpful um, to change our thinking and then change our living. Um, sometimes Philippians is called the mental health book of the New Testament, and there's a reason for it. Yes, uh, Changing the way that we think uh, will make a tremendous difference in the way that we live. And I'll also just say that I, th- I think Philippians is a, is a good book to help us unlock how to read some of these other epistles that you see Paul writing. Um, and so I hope this encourages you to go through and start reading. If you're if you're following along in a Bible with us, turn the page to Colossians chapter one and start reading in there, and and uh, start studying these little letters that Paul writes the same way we did Philippians. You will only benefit from it. Um, so this wraps up our season on the book of Philippians. We did want to mention that it looks like that we're going to take a break here. Um, a little bit of news on my part. I'm actually moving from the Harrisburg area to Indianapolis, Indiana. Which I am very sad about. Yes, uh, I know, and I'm sad about it too. But I'm excited for the work that uh, yes, good opportunity. Yes, I'll be moving out to Indianapolis to help share the gospel out there in that area and work with a congregation uh, just like I do here in Harrisburg. But we did want to reiterate that you know this was the 11th season of HBG Bible Talks, which means there are 10 other seasons of HBG Bible Talks. So if you joined in at any point, um, you know, in the last few months, you can go back and listen to all the other seasons. So we've got 10 of them out there uh, on top of Philippians. Season 1 was the Gospel of Mark. Season 2 was the Book of Acts. Season 3 was the Sermon on the Mount. Season 4 was the Book of Ephesians. Season 5 was the Book of James. Uh, Season 6 was our HBG Bible Talks event where Ben Hall did four lectures on continuing the kingdom, which is on the Book of Acts. Um, Season 7 was an overview of the Old Testament books of the Bible. Season 8 was an overview of the New Testament books of the Bible. Season 9 was our annual HBG Bible Talks event on how we got the Bible. Again, four lectures you can listen to on that. And then season 10 was Genesis chapters 1 through 4. And uh, so we, we commend those to you. We would encourage you to go and listen to those. And if you've listened to them 
once before, why not listen to them again? Um, see what maybe is there that you didn't think through the first time around. Yeah, and whatever the future is of this particular podcast, we hope that uh, this will be a good resource for you or others that you know. We're, we're trying to reach more people with the gospel and really get people in the text. Uh, like we say at the beginning, you know, to do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word. And so we hope this will be a good resource. Uh, I've got some other ideas for other projects that... Um, uh, the podcast that might happen in the future, uh, but we'll see what happens with all that. But we're really grateful to all of you uh, who are listening to this and uh, for the support and encouragement we've gotten from doing this. This has been great for us yes. to do this podcast. And um, we're just grateful to God uh, for the tremendous resources he's given us in his word and hope that this has been a helpful way to unpack these things and uh, hope that it will get all of our listeners and ourselves included into the word. That's really the goal of all of these things. Amen. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, do subscribe. Uh, leave us a rating or review that will help this podcast uh, to continue to reach more people. Um, if you'd like to study the Bible with us, please reach out 717-585-0949 or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Uh, if you have Bible questions, we'd love to talk with you. Or for more information about worship uh, or local Bible studies and groups, uh, please check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.